We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Uh, we now have a caller on the phone, Jim. Jim from Tuscaloosa. What do you got, Jim? I I hate to do it to him, but you know I gotta. Old damn tide. I kind of thought you were just going to read my brother's tweet there. <laughs> we have had some support on the Twitter waves. What's going on, Moose and Roots listeners? Welcome into episode 37. Uh, we got so much to talk about today, Matt. Hope you're having a good day, but uh, let's jump right into it. We got college football. We got a lot going on at Hallis Hall. Uh, we got playoff football to talk about. So uh, it's going to be a very football-centric pod today. But Got to take advantage of them while we still can, Joe. I mean, exactly, Matt. There's uh, The days the are weeks- waning. The weeks are fleeting here uh, for us football fans, but it has been an amazing last few weeks in college football. Yesterday did not disappoint. You thought last year's Rose Bowl, that that high-scoring manner was going to be hard to top, and then you get yesterday's Rose Bowl. That's just one of the storylines coming out of the day. Uh, We're going to jump right into it and and finish some business. Let's get the business out of the way here. Okay, let's get the business. I think I'm owed a round of golf after our pick'em special. Let's pat both of ourselves on the back here. We did a decent job of picking this game. These games. I, I myself went four for five. You went three for five. That's well above our season's average. Uh, so let's go down the line here. SC versus Michigan. We got that one right. We picked South Carolina. We we looked pretty bad midway through the third quarter. There it was what, we did three. We South did. South Carolina and then, couldn't do anything. The Wolverines fell asleep. A couple big turnovers. Matt, give me a quick takeaway from that one. I just, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I was kind of flipping between because we only had the two TV set up with the three, so that one usually got the shaft when all three. Gotcha. Were off. Fair but enough. They just couldn't protect the ball, and then they went for that odd fourth and ten. I didn't really get it down a touchdown. It was fourth and ten on like their own thirty, and then Harbaugh decided to go for it with I think a two timeouts or one timeout, but still four minutes or so left. Yeah, just, a just their utter, offense. utter lack of, of faith in your defense there is what Their offense, like. which is odd because their offense was the one who really shot themselves. That was struggling, them yeah. The foot. Their defense is has been elite all year, and I think it, they're only losing, I think, one guy uh, going into, I, I forget who it is off the top of my head, but I think they're returning 10 starters next year. So yeah. Put Punt the ball, put the faith in your defense, see if you can't flip the field a little bit. Yeah. Nonetheless... Nonetheless, we both have Gamecocks uh, getting seven and a half. They win it outright. It's really a we shame went, Michigan had to spoil that perfect Big Ten record, Joe. It's really a damn yeah. shame. If anyone, if anyone was going to do it, they deserve it. But uh, <laughs> we move on. We move on. The second game was Auburn versus UCF, which might have been the sleeper of the day. What an amazing game! A back and forth matchup. Scott Frost boys get it done. UCF, the Cinderella of sorts, taking down an Auburn team that beat two teams that are in the playoffs. So just. A lot of interweaving storylines here. We'll touch upon them in depth later on in the show, but uh, we picked this one incorrectly. We both had Auburn covering the 10. UCF shocks them outright, a high-scoring affair. Uh, what'd you see in that one, Matt? Just a fun back-and-forth game. There were a couple times yeah. for both teams you kind of thought, well, this is you know, going to be it. You thought early on UCF was kind of pulling away, and then Auburn has that kick return to start the half, and then they go and would four, score 14 unanswered, and they take the lead, and you kind of think, oh, well, this is probably where it falls off, but UCF kind of didn't give in, didn't back down, and if that's the type of attitude Scott Frost coach teams have, Nebraska fans should be very excited going forward. Oh, but, they are. <laughs> uh, that was just that, that was a sneaky, great football game, and it wasn't really 
even even in the end when UCF had the two touchdown lead, Auburn really never gave in and kind of thought they had that chance when UCF missed the field goal. Yeah, I was I really enjoyed watching that game from. An I wanted overtime. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been sweet. But from an offensive play-calling standpoint, both of these teams left it all out there. You saw a lot of creative screen game. You saw end-arounds from both teams. Uh, UCF's quarterback looked like, you know, he was really putting pressure on that defense with his feet, and that just opened things up in the pass game. It was just it was a high-flying game, and it was, it was a lot of fun to watch. That was the only one that I myself got wrong. Uh, we both had Auburn in that one covering the 10. We were sadly mistaken. Uh, let's move on to the Citrus Bowl. Uh, it let's was both s- pat our backs on this one. We not, we not only called the, uh, the not, spread here, not- we, we both took the Irish, the, the dogs take the money line there, Joe. Yeah, but let's not pat ourselves too much. That, that was a bet from the heart. I, I think it's safe to say for Still both won. of us here. Still um, Citrus Bowl was a snoozer in the first half. If you turn this one on in the second half, you, you saw all you needed to. I think it was, what, three to three at half or three to nothing at half, something three like that. Three to nothing at half, yeah. But uh, the Irish get their first win in the state of Florida in eight tries, so somewhat exercising demons there and maybe a little bit. I don't know how much it played into it, but we talked about it. The, the 06, uh, what was that, the Sugar Bowl? Um, oh, yeah. Lady Quinn. Oh, yeah. So, so some more demons exercise there against LSU. Uh, the Irish come out with a win outright. Uh, we both obviously picked the Irish here. It didn't look good. There was some mistakes on the special team side. Sloppy football game, but uh, an awesome go-ahead touchdown there at the end by Boykin, the one-handed catch. So that was a lot of lot of fun to watch in in the final seventeen minutes of that game. Yeah, you know, it, the the two things that stuck out to me in that were obviously there is clearly a quarterback controversy in South Bend now. Uh, Ian Book had started taking some snaps in that Miami game, and then kind of the rest of the season on, and he pretty much I, I don't think. We saw Wimbush in the second half, did we? I think nope. it was pretty much all Ian Book. And he looked, in, with the exception of the one interception that he threw that was just absolutely miserable. I forget if that was at the end of the first or early in the second half. Mm-hmm. He looked really good. He looked poised in some pretty bad weather against a pretty good defense. So I think you're going to see an ab- absolutely a quarterback battle. And if you do see that, I think Wimbush might end up losing out and might be some sort of a skill position player, whether that's a receiver, running back, hybrid type combo. I'm not really sure. We'll see. But then Coach O... Kicking the field goal, yeah, on the one inch line with the best run, one of the best running backs in all of college football. That was the least Coach O thing I think I've ever seen. It was a, I don't want to say it a meaningless bowl game, but it was a citrus bowl. I mean, this is the last game of the year. There's no real ramifications on it. it he seems like you know the most aggre- one of the more aggressive, like let's go win the game type guys out there. And we we love Coach O. He's on our our sign off every week here. <laughs> but the decision there to kick the field goal was just a little bit mind-boggling. I know it was a tie game and all that, but try and put it in if you don't. Notre Dame has to go 99 and a half yards, and I don't think they're going to do that in that driving. Yeah, storm. you get in a situation like that as a coach, and like you said, especially Coach O, who's usually pretty aggressive. Uh, I, I don't want to call it overcoaching, but overthinking a situation there a little bit, maybe being a little too analytical when, like you said, what what is there to lose? Go out there, give it a shot. It's one inch try and put him over the top. I, I agree with you in that situation. But to go back to the quarterback situation in South Bend, Matt, I think there will be a quarterback controversy or a quarterback, you know, a, a contest for the job next year. And there very much should be because Ian Book showed signs of being able to throw the ball. Something that Brandon Wimbush didn't show in the last six, seven weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. 
he's going to have to get with one of these quarterback gurus, go down to San Diego, spend the summer with George Whitfield or something, or spend the spring with him and, and try and figure it out because he is another guy in a line of guys that we've seen with great talent, your Golsons, your Zaires, who really have that dual threat quarterback ability but lean too much on the run side, and that's never going to be successful. You need a guy who can be pass-first and supplement with his legs, and uh, it looks like it's flip-flopped here for Wimbush. Yeah, you know, he ever since that Miami game when he missed that throw to EQ St. Brown on the first seemed time, to be kind of broken. Him, he, he seemed to be a broken yeah. quarterback, broken man, whatever. Mentally, he was never the same. He, he Before that time, you know, he was never the greatest thrower this year, but he still kind of made the one or two big throws a game Notre Dame asked him to make. He mm-hmm. kind of stopped doing that after in that in that Miami in that Miami game after missing that big throw. And I'm with you. If he if he can't get it figured out figured out soon, he's going to find himself on the pine because Ian Book looked really good throwing the ball there for most of that game in in awful awful weather. Nonetheless, the Irish put us back over 500 with our picks. We were two and one at that point in the day going into the college football playoff. The granddaddy of them all did not disappoint for the second straight year. My favorite football game of the year and. Man, was it a great one with storylines abound with Baker Mayfield coming in a little sick and this Georgia team that kind of had the two three-headed monster in the backfield. Uh, We had this one picked at the under, uh, or at least I did, and Georgia almost covered the over on their own. So it was a high-scoring affair, needless to say. They hit the over by halftime. A lot of fun. They did. A lot of fun and uh, took double overtime to decide it, Matt. What was your takeaway, and were you impressed by either of these teams? I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here in the rundown, but did you see a national champion playing in that football game? Well, that, that, I, I don't think Georgia, we'll get to our prediction. I'm not sure Georgia is going to win on Monday night, but I think I saw a team that is capable of winning if, if things go right, and I think I saw a really well-coached football team because in the first half that team wasn't really playing well and they weren't. their defense was kind of all over the place, not really – doing what they're supposed to, losing track of assignments in the secondary. Mm-hmm. And then they went into the locker room at halftime, and that it was a completely different Georgia Bulldogs team. I know Baker Mayfield and Oklahoma's offense, but it was a lot more conservative in that second half. But for the most part, Georgia battened down the hatches, and they basically said, no more, we're done with this. And they held the most high-scoring offense. So it was 17 points in that half, and then you know one of those field goals came in, in an overtime period. So. I, I, th- yeah. I think you saw a really well-coached team. I think you saw a team that could probably maybe match the physicality of an Alabama in, mm-hmm. in a game. I'm not sure they're as good, but I think they can be as physical. I'm just running in between the tackles, doing what Georgia does on offense is, is going to be tough to beat a team like Alabama who does what they do up front in their front seven. Yeah, that's that's totally my takeaway here. Is That's a Georgia team that is really talented, but they're obviously a run-first football team, and things get real difficult against that Alabama defense. Like we said, we'll break that down a little bit, but that third quarter was obviously the pivotal moment, the turning point, as you said, for the Bulldogs. They just came out a different football team, outscored Oklahoma, I believe it was 14 to nothing in that third quarter. I want to say Oklahoma had something like 17 yards of total offense in that third quarter, so really swung the momentum. I'm a guy who loves the personality in these players, and you don't often get that in college. And when you do get that in college, it's heavily scrutinized. Baker Mayfield was no exception to that rule. You had to feel for the kid at the end of the game when they showed him with his hands on his knees there. He's been the lifeblood of that program for the last couple of years. Obviously, 
some tumultuous times as well. But uh, that's the that's the type of kid I always find myself rooting for. I'm going to keep rooting for Baker Mayfield moving forward, but a tough end to his career at Oklahoma. Yeah, you know, it was a tough end for his career. And I think one of the more difficult things to grasp for me was that third and two, the late third and two where Oklahoma, I, I think it was, was still tied or they were down, they were down three because they had to, uh, they were trying, they ended up kicking the field goal to tie it. But they mm-hmm. went with that end around from under center on third and two to a guy who has three carries all year. Yeah. When they've been going from that shotgun, they've been running that, uh, power or counter whatever they were calling it to the left with baker following the two guard the guard and the tackle up the hole or, or hand, handing it to rodney anderson who i think rushed for over 200 yards and they outthink themselves go under center and and try a try a jet sweep end around whatever you want to call it to a guy who's mm-hmm. talking you know, carry the ball three times all year that's where i thought oklahoma was let down a little bit by their coach i thought lincoln riley called a perfect first half and i think he got a little bit too conservative and tried to run out the clock against a really good georgia team and just didn't work yeah, it's, uh, like we said, a tough way for Baker to, to end the career. But on the flip side of that coin, kind of lost amongst it all is the true freshman, Jake Fromm. I mean... He's your X-Factor Monday night. I know that they lean on that run game, but Fromm, I'm looking at the numbers right now, was 20 of 29 for 210, averaged 7.2 yards per pass, and had two touchdowns, zero interceptions. That's not going to get you your splashy QBR. He was a 59.9 QBR, but... He managed the game, and I know that's an overused term, game manager, but that's what he's going to have to do is protect the ball and win the turnover battle if he, want to have, if he wants to have a chance against Alabama. A tall task for a true freshman who by all means is not producing and playing like a true freshman in some of the biggest moments he'll ever be in. No, I mean, it's, it's cliche to say, but he's, he's almost not a freshman anymore with the, with the amount of games he's had, the amount uh-huh. of big game experience. He, he's not going to be playing like a freshman anymore. Maybe that changes against Alabama because they're Alabama. They're so good. They have that intimidation factor. Might get in the young kid's head, but he just never looks shook. He never looks uncomfortable. I think I, uh, Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler were talking about their their pregame or their you know weekly sit-downs with some of the players, and one of Kirk's questions to Jake Fromm was, when was the last time you've been uncomfortable? You felt uncomfortable, and the yeah. kid couldn't answer it. He, he could not answer the last time he'd been or felt uncomfortable in a big game situation, a game situation. So I think that's only going to help them going forward. But again, it's it's a it's a tall task to ask for a, a true freshman to go out and beat Alabama. And Matt, you've been in locker rooms. We've both been in locker rooms, obviously at a much lower level. But with guys who are being put in positions that can be the most uncomfortable, that they're not necessarily prepared for, and doubt starts to creep around them in those types of situations – with Jake Fromm performing like he is, the Bulldogs have to have the most confidence in this kid at this point in the season. Yeah, that, he clearly has all the confidence in that locker room in the world, and I, I think it was probably started after that Notre Dame game, but I think it's only grown throughout the year. To, mm-hmm. to know that you have that dominant three-headed monster at running back, but to know that you have a guy who, when you need him to, if that's not going well, can can step, there, step back in the pocket, stay poised, make some big throws, make just about every throw you ask him, and then also create a little bit with his feet. That one touchdown pass they uh, – it's down on the left side of the TV screen where he kind of yeah. rolled around and then fired it across his, across his body into a pretty tight window with not much space there fired into that. I forget who the receiver is now. But uh, that was a big-time throw in a big-time situation. On the move a little bit there and in a as big of a situation you can get, and he put it right on the money. Yeah, that was top-level stuff. And uh, he's going to have to have all the tools in the bag on Monday night. It's Alabama versus Georgia for the whole darn thing. Uh, let's yeah. pick this one, Matt. Uh, Bama. Currently four and a half point underdogs to Georgia. No, I love that. They're favorites. 
their favorites? Yeah, Bama's minus well, four and a half. Well, you screwed me up here in our pre-production then. Did I? I'm sorry. Come on. Um, all right, well, that... that no, George, come, Joe, we both watched the games last night. There's yeah, no way... I mean, uh, maybe I misspoke I was, in, a pre, in a production meeting here, but you, you got to be a little more. That's why That's why I was surprised. I'll wear that one. Have more half, field awareness. It is Bama laying four and a half against Georgia. All things considered, I'm still I'm still rolling with the tide. Uh, I don't know how much I love that number, but uh, I like Bama to come out here and win this one. I, I'm still taking Bama. I'd probably take the number, but I, I do think it'll be interesting to see what Georgia can do. I think the storyline for me is going to be whether or not they've kind of put it all out on the field in that Rose Bowl and emotionally, physically drained a little bit that that kind of was their national championship. Yeah. Alabama has appeared to... We were worried about their health along as just about anybody coming into that last night's game. They appeared to use that month to get pretty fully healthy with the exception of their one linebacker. I uh, can't remember name, his name off the top of my head. One of their starting linebackers went down there with about three minutes left. looked like it might have been a serious knee injury, so we'll see how, how that yeah. turns out. But if they're healthy, Georgia's going to have a, a really tough time up front. But I also think that you saw last night as dominant as Alabama's defense was up front, mm-hmm. the front seven. Their uh, their their offense still had some issues. They weren't. I know Clemson's defense is, is, you know, a top five defense, a great front seven in the country, whatever. But they had a little bit of trouble moving the ball. Jalen Hurts was fine. He wasn't great. Damian Harris and, and Bo Scarborough, I think, combined for under a hundred yards or just right around a hundred yards. So it's not like their offense is this big juggernaut. They're still going to rely on their defense to make some big plays. And if Georgia takes care of the football and they run the ball like they can, it's going to be an interesting game to say the least. That four and a half might be a big number. Yeah, uh, shout out to to Fat Guy Touchdown for Alabama there. That was great. I that was fantastic. My, my favorite caption of the day, uh, I want to say, it was Barstool Sports was calling it the Thick Six, which Ooh, was uh, which was outstanding. Good. So uh, good stuff there. And um, just, I guess, my final point on this one is what worries me most about Georgia and their ability to compete in this game is how much they leaned on that Wildcat. I don't know exactly how many times they ran the ball out of the Wildcat. But if you're going hat on a hat, man on man, we're telling you we're running the ball. I don't know how well that works against Alabama. Not to say anything negative about uh, about which McCall. Uh, why am I blanking on who? Sony, Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb. Yeah, uh, no, not not either of the running backs. No. But not to say anything negative about the Oklahoma defense oh, gotcha. because well, it's a strong defense, but it's not Alabama. And I think that if you start lining up in that Wildcat, unless you're going to have Nick Chubb or Sonny Michelle pull up and throw it once, they don't really have to stay honest. I mean, they scored the game-tying touchdown with, I think it was 54 seconds left, and then yeah. the game-winner both out of that Wildcat set. So I think to beat Alabama, you got to have a quarterback back there. I, I'm going to guess that, not, I mean, obviously it worked, and I, I don't think they were calling plays late in the Rose Bowl to try and set up things for the national championship, but at the same time, no. I do think that that was a, a way of them getting some things on film, and I would be surprised if they do bust out that wildcat at some point and do have one of those guys, you know, throw a pop pass or whatever, not you know, throw deep or something deep over the middle, yeah. but you know, one of those goal line Tim Tebow jump passes. Um, yeah. I also think Georgia is a very well coached football team. Their, their offense is pretty good when they're running the football, but I also think they're. They knew who they were playing in the Rose Bowl, and I think they also know who they're playing in the national championship game. And I think if we're aware of that, that that Wildcat might yes. have some trouble against Alabama's defense, I think there's nobody better who's going to know that that Wildcat might have trouble against that defense than Kirby Smart, yes. who recruited half that Alabama defense and knows them uh, 
knows them really well. So I don't think we're going to see that. I, I might be wrong. I don't think we're going to see that a ton. I think they'll try and get a little bit more creative and try and keep that front seven honest because that's the way you can maybe pick apart an Alabama defense if you have a quarterback who can throw and if, spread them out and keep them a little bit honest. But I, I, I'm with you. If they if they rely on that yeah. running captain, Wildcat, they might be in some trouble. You know, just throw Ronnie Hillman back there and hope for the best. The, the, <laughs> The Dolphin way. Uh, that's, a, that's a throwback right there. But uh, Wildcat Matt, we, invented. We got uh, to, I guess, close the book on this season for the Moose and Runes Pick'em Special. I had Bama in that game. You took Clemson. I ended up going four for five. You went, uh, you went three for five. And, uh, I, I, made, pay- I made one crucial mistake, Joe. Um, and I'm going to steal a quote from, uh, from former Boston Celtics head coach Rick Pitino here, Joe. Deshaun, Deshaun Watson ain't walking through that door. That's, and, that's and a true Kelly, story. I, am, I, I didn't watch enough Clemson football. I watched a little bit, not enough Clemson football, and that's on me. Kelly Bryant is nowhere near Deshaun Watson. Yeah, and you're seeing that with Deshaun Watson's it is, production at it the is. next level as well. And I, I still I, I maintain what I said about my formula to beat Alabama in our uh, – special on Saturday. That is the formula to beat Alabama. I just didn't realize Kelly Bryant wasn't that all large that good. of a drop off. I, I yeah. didn't realize he was that large of a drop off because they did the same thing to to Clemson last year and then Deshaun Watson was just able to make him pay for it with his arm and his his, his legs as well getting outside of the pocket. And then once they had to start respecting him, you know, they they'd be able to hit runs up the middle, stuff like that. But Kelly Bryant ain't Deshaun Watson and ain't even close, and that was yeah. that, that's on me. I'll wear that. <laughs> that was a great, uh, great Clemson team last year all around. But I think we undervalued Deshaun Watson. We did, and be- because he was such a dual threat at the college level, uh, we thought that you know his top end wasn't what it looks like it's going to be at the next level. So that's even more credit. Uh, Three hundred and sixty-five days removed for Deshaun Watson there yeah. as as a collegiate quarterback. So Matt looks like we're playing some golf in the near future, yeah. and uh, and and that's gonna be that's gonna be on you, Pally. Hey, we're both winners here. I get to play golf. So that's that's a true story. Yeah. Um, so it should be a good one this Monday. Uh, Bama versus Georgia for for all the marbles, and uh, we'll be what watching. What are your thoughts on an All SEC title game, Joe? Does that does that knock it at all um, for you? Does that bring it down not, a little bit? Not really, uh, but it's it's exactly it's a microcosm of college football right now. You see the Big Ten go seven and one in bowl games. They show up in all these games that don't necessarily mean a ton. Their talent is spread out amongst the conference, but the top-end talent still lies in the SEC. The SEC might not have the depth that the Big Ten has, so this is what makes the conversation interesting about what's the strongest conference in college football. I, I rest assured that the best talent still exists in the SEC, and that's why we're seeing two teams in the national championship from the SEC. Wherever you put your respect... Uh, that that's totally up to you as an individual because there is a really deep conference full of teams that just showed up and played some awesome bowl games. But I think think your best one or two are still coming out of the SEC. Yeah, and you're seeing that with with how things turned out these last two weeks. No, you kind of hit that on the head, and I wasn't sure it's where you were going when you started that, and I'm glad you finished it that way. But the the depth might not be there like it used to be in the SEC because I think it used to be you know five ten years ago probably the deepest conference. I think the Big Ten, the ACC might have them on depth now. But yeah. just like you said, that that top end, the 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 cream of the crop in those conferences, I don't think there's anywhere better than the SEC, and I think we're seeing the two best teams in the country, and it's it'll be interesting to me to see the what's the record? Saban's eleven and over's former assistants. 
I, yeah. I think he might be going up against his best former assistant yet. So I, I still think he's going to win, and I'm not sure he's going to beat Kirby Smart because he's that much better than Kirby Smart. I just think the teams that might be that much better this year. But I, I'm, I'm very interested in that storyline, see how much each coach is kind of prepared for each other because they know each other so well. Kirby's not like most coordinators who have left, left Saban. He was there for, what, eight years, won a couple mm-hmm. national championships with him. So it's not like it was just a guy who was you know in the door one year out the next. And, Matt, I know we don't watch the, these games for the coaches, but we are truly seeing coaching greatness in Nick Saban once again. Uh, you heard all the stories before the game about how he had the, the video of the loss last year against Clemson playing in the weight room, and guys had their home lock screens as sad pictures of them walking off the field. There is a mental edge in Tuscaloosa that doesn't exist other places because of Nick Saban, and I don't think it can be overstated. No, I, I'm, I'm totally with you, but that's also another thing that I'm interested in seeing how Georgia comes out and plays here because I Kirby Smart is... He's a Nick Saban disciple, and like I said, he's, yeah. he's been there. It's not like it was just you know a year or two. He he's he knows he, he knows what he, he knows, knows the formula. The he knows the formula, yeah. and you can see it how he's trying to develop that same culture, attitude, just blueprint for putting together a program and a team that you know he helped put together in Tuscaloosa. He's a young grasshopper, and mm-hmm. it should be a fun one to watch. Let's see if he can snatch the fly from the hand, Joe. And we're gonna close it out on that, <laughs> Matt. We got to talk some Bears football. Uh, it's finally over. The pain is done, but in in many ways, it's just begun. John Fox uh, is shown the door uh, just when we expected he would be. It, it could have happened earlier in the season, but glad to see that the front office took the initiative, didn't let this thing hang out longer than it needed to. Uh, and on the flip side of things, Ryan Pace extended as the GM through 2021, kind of a conspicuous move there. But I think that's ownership putting the trust in him, saying you're getting another guy you're going to be here with the other guy and you're tethered to him at the hip, make the right hire. So with that being said, who do you want, Matt? Who who do do you want to see lead the bears to the promised land? I I will say they, they, the report I saw first was at least they have an interview set up with uh, John D. Filippo from, from Philly, Mm -hmm. who I, it's, it's always a stretch to hire, you know, a quarterback's coach instead of, you know, coordinator, but from, Everything everybody says, he's had as big of an impact on Carson Wentz's Carson career, Wentz, yeah. you know, development, even more so than, than Frank Wright and Doug Peterson over there. So if that's the guy they think is, is best for Mitch, I'm all for it. I, I am for whoever they think is best for developing the young quarterback. If they think that's going with an experienced head coach, you know, no matter what the background, then bringing in the right guy to coordinate the offense, fine. Mm-hmm. If they think that's hiring the young hot coordinator to be their head coach because they don't want to worry about having – the guy develop into the young hot coordinator and then leave mid development of Mitch. That's fine too. I just they need to get that quarterback position right because from what we've seen around the NFL, what we're seeing in San Francisco now, what we've seen in Green Bay for years now, if you have a great elite quarterback, you can win any football game you're in. Yeah, you have a chance, and I think we have a guy who is showing signs of being a top-end quarterback, but it's all about the development. We've talked about this. It's all about the situation he's in. It's all about what he's insulated by. And that's why my biggest ask in this hire is that it's an offensive-minded coach. If you go, like you said, with a, with a quarterback coach, fine. I, I know a name that continually comes up in it, 
whenever you're talking about any opening is Josh McDaniels and does he want to leave New England? Is he going to ride it out throughout the Brady era? Is he waiting in arms for a Belichick retirement? All of the questions that surround New England that we don't have answers to, uh, we're now becoming a part of it because Josh McDaniels is a name that can come up for this Bears job. He is the splash name. The Bears never go and get the splash name. In in any hiring that we've seen, we've seen mm-hmm. uh, a Canadian football coach get hired. We've seen Lovey Smith get hired. We've seen a John Shoup. That was his first name, right? We've seen a John Shoup get hired. Like it, it's always, we always seem like the bridesmaid who doesn't get the big name because there are a ton of openings right now in the NFL. Uh, and if there's a time for Josh McDaniels to go somewhere, whether it be Chicago or somewhere else, I think he can garner the most return right now. I think that's wishful thinking on my end to think that he would want to come to Chicago, but you got a young quarterback and pieces to work with. Go get a couple receivers, and I think this team is ready to make a run at the playoffs at least. That's got to be what they're selling to whoever the prospective coach is. No, I, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, Josh McDaniels, I think, is the dream hire. I'm just... It, no one's really talking about it there. I've, I've seen some like some places that he's been lined up for interviews, and here hasn't been named one of them. Though the Bears, I guess, are just kind of starting to reach out, so maybe that process hasn't happened yeah. yet. I'm not really sure, but I, I don't see why. Like so many people are saying, this isn't a good job. This isn't a great place to go, and I don't really get it. I'm not just saying this because I'm a Bears fan. I'm trying to be as down the middle and, and not fanboy here as possible. But you have a young quarterback who's taken positive steps throughout the year who needs some development still, but we knew that he was going to need to grow and develop a little bit. You have what looks like, I'll call it a top 15 defense and a, and a yeah, top 10 defense. And top 10 when they're playing, you know, click firing on all cylinders, playing well. And a lot of the members of that defense are young. You have Leonard Floyd, who's just drafted a couple years ago. Your two starting safeties are both under 25. You have Kyle Fuller, who's looking like a piece, at least on that defense. He's under, you know, what twenty six. Did you see the picture of? Did you see the picture of him? I'm sorry to interrupt. You're fine. Cleaning out his locker. No, I did didn't. He was wearing women's Uggs, and it bothered me. He's fine. Um, you know, I'm always one for fashion forward uh, takes here, but uh, he was in sweatpants and women's Uggs. He looked like he was hungover going to Starbucks, like on the campus of Indiana or something. Well, maybe but. he was, Joe. <laughs> I digress. Go on with with your thoughts. Sorry, uh, but it's there. it's it's a young team across the board. the The offensive line isn't great, but the, it's I, I these people saying that it's a terrible offensive line are also wrong. They're, they're they're three or four pieces set that I think are pretty solid. They're going forward. They have two running backs who are both in their twenties. They don't have any receivers right now, but that's something you can go out and address in the draft and hopefully free agency. They have a tight end who's been taking some positive strides who might be a project at this point, but also looked like he can be an absolute beast. They have young pieces and pieces in place, and I don't see why this wouldn't be seen as a top job to want to come to. I know ownership's not great at this point, and that's, I guess, maybe the comp- the, the main factor in why someone might not want to go here. Mm-hmm. But you have all the pieces on your roster. You have a GM who, whether you Bears fans like him or not, he was just extended, so it's not like you have to worry about him being fired, not renewed next year, because then you know bringing a new GM and then who maybe wants to get a new coach. So you do have some job security there. You're also going to be tied to Mitch Trubisky, and it's the Chicago Bears. That's a marquee franchise in football. Whether you're a Bears fan or not a Bears fan, no one would deny that the Chicago Bears are, are one of the marquee top. You know, I, I hate not steal a turn from the NHL, but original six type you know franchise absolutely in the NFL. They absolutely. are they're one of the they are one of the marquee franchise i I don't see why this job shouldn't be a destination for somebody 
I agree with you because to bring back a team like the Chicago Bears to the glory that they once saw would be not only a notch in the belt of a coach, but a career achievement. You also have a fan base here that is dying to root for something other than draft picks, Mm -hmm. that is dying to be relevant again, that is dying to see the playoffs, sniff the playoffs. We're not even talking Super Bowl. You have a fan base that is hungry, and I I know we're from Chicago and we're biased, but it's one of the top fan bases when you're talking about any sport across the board. If there is something to support, to root for, to get behind, Chicago does it. You see it in the celebration parades after championships. You see it on the south side when you have a team that isn't even in contention, but they got some young prospects coming up, and then you start to see fans fill up that ballpark. You see it on the north side with fans who waited a hundred years to see a championship and now they're in their glory you see it at the madhouse every night with a struggling hawks team but through the last decade has had a renaissance chicago does it better than almost anywhere else i'd say boston is the only other place and i mean we got to give a shout out to buffalo with the way they supported that that was that was did you see the story too with them uh they they Whatever they they donated a ton of money to Andy Dalton's charity of choice for beating the. Oh, Ravens I didn't see that. that. It was some that. sort. Awesome. Somebody made some sort of bet with him, but Buffalo fans followed through, donated something like collect like thirty seven thousand dollars donated but, to Andy uh, Dalton's charity. Of but choice. things like that, things that happen in places like that, are not to be taken for granted. I know that only plays a small role in a coach's decision to go somewhere, but. I think once the thing gets moving in the right direction here with the Bears, it's going to be a lot of fun to be the head coach of the Bears. It's it's going to take the right kind of guy, the the right personality, uh, the guy who's going to want to take on that challenge. But you, you brought it up briefly in in your great uh, description there. But Joe Madden was a guy who saw an opportunity to you know if, if I come here and I can do this and I can pull this off, I'm going to be a king of this town for the you know for the rest of my life. You float. Joe Madden is a king in this town. Joe, Madden, I'm not a Cubs fan, but Joe Madden is will be a king in this town. He's not going to buy a dinner or a drink in this town unless he really wants to for the rest of his life. That's. It, it, I, I know that was a hundred years. It feels like a hundred years to Bears fans. And if you can get a guy, if you, if you're that guy, you're that head coach. You see what happened with Ditka. He won one Super Bowl and not much else. I mean, they they flamed out much earlier than they should have, and he was partially to blame for that. And he is a king in this town. He owns Chicago. Exactly. Ditka, Ditka will always float in this town, but it's everybody. Mongo walks into a room. Yeah. Hampton walks into a room. Singletary walks into a room. These guys, even Erlocker, who never got one, they will always be held in the highest regard. And we've never lived anywhere else, but will, uh, yeah, Belichick obviously will always in the Northeast have his place. But will Pete Carroll float in Seattle? Like, I, I don't know. I know Seattle's a great fan base, but... Joe, even New York, if someone goes to New York, if Josh McDaniels goes to the Giants and wins a Super Bowl, they'll, it, it'll be Tom, forgotten in two years. Is Tom Coughlin given a standing ovation when he walks into Chicago Cut the way Madden is? You know, it, it, are those sort of things going on other places? I think that's something that coaches... Nice that, restaurant that there with Chicago should Cut. look at it. Are not a sponsor yet. No free ads, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're looking for we're looking for some support here in 2018, um, but you know I think we're we're both uh, beating a dead horse here. But it, it does make the job that much more attractive for a prospective coach, and I, I'm just hoping we get a, we we get someone that can get Mitch Trubisky moving in the right direction and, and this whole franchise moving in that direction. <laughs> my biggest issue, my biggest worry, and I don't want to get into it because it's going to make me sad, but 
Fair. I just hope it's not a systemic problem from the top all the way down, which it very much can be. You talk about the ownership not being very attractive. It isn't. And, and those are your bosses. And you got to kind of, you don't always have to like your boss, but you have to respect your boss and you have to believe that your boss is putting you in the right decisions, right positions to succeed. Is there bad air at House Hall? That's very possible. I, I, I agree with you. And I think it was Jeff Dickerson who was tweeting that, you know, Ted Phillips and George McCaskey are going to be sitting in interviews for these coaches, you know, the coaching jobs. And I, I wonder what, what value does having those two in the like? What can they ask this this head coach about that's going to be you know a relevant question to Ryan Pace's evaluation of all these like candidates? Is, what he is what, Ted what is Phillips going to make him get up on the whiteboard and do an equation? Exactly. Like, like, what's what, going what, on? What's going on? Why do why does he need to be in here? I, I get these guys have oversight and you know they hired Ryan Pace, but let let your hires do their job. There's no company in the world that does well that micromanages their employees i mean no you do yeah. you, you sure we've all been a part of jobs where you have somebody who's micromanaging you a little bit it doesn't let you do your job the right way it doesn't let you do what you need to do to succeed let ryan but you you sign this guy to a three-year four-year extension whatever the hell it is through 2021 math isn't my strong suit um let him do his job. You clearly trust in him. You're, you're paying him all this money for the next few years. Let him do his job. Let him make his hires. And if he doesn't work, then fire him. But something's wrong here. You guys have been sitting in on these interviews, been helping with these searches for the last two, three, head, whatever it's been, and it's not working. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I agree with you, Matt. And change needs to happen. And we have eight months, which is what, 32 roughly podcasts to talk about it. So let's put it to sleep. Uh, the bear season was one to forget, but there hopefully are pieces that they can move forward with. And uh, Bear down, and Joe. That, Bear and, down. and in the words of Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. Bear um, down. Let's move on. Let's you talk a little – No, let's talk a little playoff okay. football. Let's, oh. I, I do have a grievance, oh. but let's talk some, let's, let's talk, talk some playoff football. we gotta, we got to make a Super Bowl pick here. Uh, We're going to be held to our, to, our, um, to our picks. So why don't we go ahead. Who do you see coming out of the AFC? For me, it's Tom and the boys it's, again. It's Tommy. And I, 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 this year they might be a little bit more susceptible to being beaten than they've been in the in the past few years. But I don't see them being beat. I think it's, I'm I'm not going to bet against Tom Brady. Tom Brady's probably going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think that's that's how it goes to on on the AFC. The NFC a lot more interesting if you ask me. Uh, I like the New Orleans Saints coming in a four seed with a hot hand. They got to play Carolina. It's going to be a tough game. But if you beat Carolina in that wild card round. I think that gives you all the momentum to go into Minnesota and beat a really questionable quarterback. A strong team, but as we've seen in years past, quarterback play wins in the playoffs. Don't know if Case Keenum's going to have enough to get it done for Minnesota. So I like whoever comes out of that wild card round to find themselves in the NFC Championship against, who knows, LA, Atlanta, Philly. I, I think that that's a, a mixed bag on the other side of the bracket. So I don't know if you remember this, Joe, but I, I'm, I'm too lazy to go pull the tape. Okay. But in our in our our big NFL college yeah, football you, preview pick them special. I'm not sure if you remember. I had a didn't you New jump England on Patriots, the same? Carolina Panthers, Carolina. Okay. Now okay. I, I don't think that's going to happen here. Carolina's You're not double been down? Carolina. No, I, well, I'm going to do. I'm just going to spread the money around here, Joe. That, that, okay, that's smart. Like that. I'm not going to double down. I'm going to kind of hedge my bets here across the board because I don't okay. think Carolina is going to go to the Super Bowl. I don't think they're going to beat New Orleans. They've been kind of blown out of the building here twice so far this year. Uh, I'm going to go with the Rams. Uh, I, I don't. I, they're not 
going to be matched up with Minnesota there in that second round, right? Because uh-huh. they have a, so if they if they win, they get, they're, they're they get going Philly. to get, uh, get Philly. Philly. I like that matchup for them too. I think they run the football as well as anybody in the NFL with Todd Gurley. I think he's arguably an NFL MVP. Uh, I think their defense is fine. Jared Goff is pretty good. Uh, their receivers are a lot better than they were last year, and I, I think they have a little bit of an easier road. And I think whoever comes out of that. If it is New Orleans, New Orleans-Minnesota game is going to have to have expended a lot of physical and emotional energy into, into winning that ball game because those are two of the most physical teams in football, and I think you're, gonna, you're going to see that when they play, if they do play. But I'm going to take whoever comes out, uh, whoever – I'm going to take the Rams here, Joe. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Give me Rams and the Patriots. Um, I, I love what Sean McVay's doing over there. I, I like the pick, and I'd be happy to see a young – exciting team like the Rams who just relocated to be a great story. Uh, but I think I can't that, believe I just that, took the LA Rams to make the Super Bowl. Joe, if you told so, me if you told so me three hundred if you told no if you told me three hundred sixty five <laughs> days ago that I'd be dead set seriously picking the Rams to be in the Super Bowl a year from now, I'd have told you you're absolutely crazy. Well, you've now taken the Rams and the Carolina Panthers. That's smart, Joe. Super That's Bowl. smart so money. You're, you're spraying the board. Smart I, I money. applaud you. I applaud you, Matt. I kept um, it the same in the AFC. You did. You did. But uh, I think the AFC, I mean, you're looking at Buffalo, Jacksonville, Tennessee, Kansas City, like doesn't really stimulate the mind much as a football fan. That Kansas City team's a good football team. I haven't seen a ton of Tennessee this year. Jacksonville's defense, obviously outstanding. And I Buffalo, would love to see a Jacksonville-Nagland matchup. Not yeah, that I think they'd win. Would that I be just, a game? I, see, I, I think it might be a game because that pass rush is so good. And New yeah. England's offensive line has kind of been suspect all year. I, I still think New England probably ends up winning something like 20 to 10, 23, 13. I but really I think hope, it'd be kept interesting for a while. I really hope that we get a New England Pittsburgh rematch because Pittsburgh deserves that rematch. I think you might have a healthy Antonio Brown at that point in the season, and that would be a fantastic game on a championship weekend. Yeah, that'd be a fun one to watch. I, New England probably gets them because it is there, but that, the James Harrison storyline would be. Oh, you know, another on. fun one to follow too. He picked yeah. up what two sacks in week seventeen. There it was against, yeah. and those those are the two best teams. Obviously, yeah, they're the two best teams in the AFC, the probably in football. Those might be the two best teams in football. So I, that's a matchup I'd really like to see. The NFC side, you can mix and match them, and I think it's going to be a great NFC championship. It, you, I don't think Philly's going to be able to get there, get to the the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. But that defense is so good that I guess you know anything wouldn't be too shocking. There's one through six in that NFC that I. If you told me they're in the Super Bowl, I wouldn't be surprised at it. And if you want and to talk about fun to watch, if you want to talk about storylines, who says Atlanta doesn't get hot here? We get a rematch. That would be unbelievable that they get their shot at New England again. It would be another another storybook uh, ending, probably resulting in a Tom Brady. What is that? Sixth or seventh? That'd be that'd be, that'd be number six. That'd be, he's that'd be five six. or seven okay. right now. Yeah. Okay. He's so been he's five or seven. Jesus. Yeah. Good stuff, Tom. Good stuff. Pretty good success right there for Tom Brady. Not but, a bad uh, career. All things considered, it should be a fun final few weeks in the NFL, Matt. Can you hit the music? I got a grievance. Sure. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind because I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points. And may God have mercy on your soul. Matt, my grievance lies once again with the college football playoff committee. And there's nothing they could do in the situation they were put in 
or the situation that they put themselves in, but the playoff needs to expand so a team like UCF can get their chance to continue to prove other teams wrong. We saw how fun it was yesterday to watch them beat an Auburn team. What's to say that they couldn't beat another team after that? We're never going to get the chance to find that out. We're also never going to get a chance to find out if a Ohio State team with a couple losses that looks like they came into their own after those losses could make any noise. If you really want parity and competition and you really want to give every deserving team a shot, the playoff needs to be expanded to eight teams. I know I've said it once. I know I've said it a hundred times. And I'll continue to say it until it happens because that's when you're going to get the truest champion. Do I think that Alabama-Georgia is a good picture of this year of college football? Absolutely. Two fantastic teams, quite possibly the two best teams in college football. But as we've seen in the past, at every level of every sport, it's not always the most talented team. It's the hottest team that wins the championship. Who's to say that UCF isn't the hottest team right now? Who's to say that Ohio State isn't the hottest team right now? Those are things we'll never find out because of the current setup. My grievance is with the college football playoff setup. We need eight teams. We need a couple more games because if yesterday was any indication, it's a whole lot of fun when those games are played. Yeah, I, that's very well said, and I I think UCF is by far the best argument for expansion into the college football playoff. I still think I'm, I'm going to stick with my, my six. Six. My six-team expansion. Six and buys. Uh, six I'll take and buys that, for too. the top twos uh, because I, I think then you get – to the point where you're adding in a, a three-loss team and all that, and as, as much as the hot team might win it, I, I still think having a, thir- a three-team loss, four-team loss even, playing for those spots, that, that title might be a little bit much. But a team like UCF absolutely deserves a shot at competing for a national championship. They beat the team that beat both of the teams in the SEC or in the, in the national championship game. And I just think that they, they have earned – we've seen in the past teams like Boise State, teams like TCU before TCU was in the Big 12, play these big teams and play uh-huh. them well, compete with them and beat them. And, and I, I think they've earned that chance to do so. And I think we see in the NCAA tournament in basketball how much fun it is to watch those teams get their chance. And I'm not saying expand it to 64 or expand it to 32 and you know have everybody playing here. But if there's a team like that, they deserve to be in it. And the problem is you look at the four teams that made the playoff and you, you can make – can't really tell me that they deserve to be in over the four teams that were in, no. but they also deserve a chance to play. And you you could make that argument if earlier in the season the committee put onus on the wins that UCF had on their undefeated record. Mm-hmm. Scott Frost made a great point in his post-game press conference is that he, week after week, watched the committee protect themselves from having to put UCF in, yep. from leaving them down at number 12 or 11 or however high they got. I, didn't think, I don't think they got into single digits at all because that was the committee protecting themselves from being put in a terrible situation. The committee won't have to protect themselves if there is room for an undefeated non-Power 5 team to get in. And mm-hmm. this was a perfect case of that. This is the first undefeated season since 2013, the national champion Florida Seminoles. Some, something that's worth something, and it has to be. But the way things are currently set up, it, it isn't worth a damn thing. And the, the, I agree with you. And the tough part about that is, is the, this, the non-Power 5 conference, basically the winner of that gets a spot in the New Year's Six, and whether it's the Peach Bowl or Cotton Bowl sometimes. And that's a nice way to do it. But this, you don't find out who these teams really are sometimes until they've had that chance to play the team yeah. like an Auburn, and you don't find out until it's too late, yeah. which is why I, I think we need to start giving them – I'm not saying every year it needs to be a UCF team. It needs to be a non-Power 5 team in the playoff, but like 
if there's a year where there's you know couple different one loss teams two loss teams from power five conferences that might get the shot then six playoff you know 16 playoff works but if there's this year every once in a while every five where this non-power five school does run the table and looks pretty darn good doing so they should get that shot every once in a while absolutely and that i'd rather have that argument and that conversation of i'd rather have too many teams in the playoffs and not enough yeah but should a two loss uh, Wisconsin team get in, or should a undefeated UCF team get in? It's a hypothetical, but that's a conversation I'd rather have than why are we keeping out an undefeated team? Mm-hmm. I'm with you. So that's my grievance, Matt. Uh, let's one. jump in. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let's You're jump welcome. into a little bit of buy or sell, Matthew. I'm, I'm, um, I'll start off here because this, actually, off? This, off. this relates to the, a little bit to your grievance here, somewhat okay. similar. You, you brought up the name, Scott Frost. Joe Byersell, Scott Frost has Wisconsin in a big, or excuse me, Nebraska in a Big Ten championship game within four years. I'm going to buy that. Um, there's so much parity in the Big Ten, and you've seen what Scott Frost is capable of in the last two years. There is an air about him that players like to buy into, players like to play for. In a lot of other situations, if it was a different guy who took a job and then came back, those players would not have given that coach the time of day. But these guys obviously had a respect and a love for Scott Frost and a trust in him that they gave that he gave them the best chance to win this bowl game. So that buy-in is something that goes a long way. If you're giving Scott Frost four years to just get into the Big Ten Championship, I think the smart money is to buy on that because – Nebraska is a place that can recruit. Nebraska is, again, a storied franchise with unparalleled support that's waiting for something to root for, very much as the position that the Bears are in to kind of draw a parallel there. Mm-hmm. So I think that they have the right guy to do it. He's the reigning coach of the year. Every single award he's won. And uh, if you're going to hire a guy, which Nebraska obviously needed to do this year, you just hired the best guy you could. So uh, I'm going to buy that in with that four-year uh, time span. You know, it was it was interesting you brought up that whole respect factor with the UCF players had because I was watching that game yesterday and, you know, watching him on the sidelines, interactions with players a little bit, and you kind of think a little, like, I, part of me was thinking, like, well, if I was on that team, wouldn't I be kind of, like, you know, upset, not quite playing for him that he's leaving? But you can clearly see how much those players respected him, kind of knew, understood, not to relate this to, to something a little bit closer to us, but if you remember when Brian Kelly bolted Cincinnati for Notre Dame, he left early, didn't coach the ball, oh, which, which is fine. You don't yeah. have to coach the bowl game. I, I if you want, if, especially if you're going to a school more so like Notre Dame, that's probably because we there a little bit more. But I got to see Cincinnati- up close and personal how hard it is to do what Scott yeah. Frost just did. And you those, have to recruit. There's an early signing day now. Those Cincinnati players wouldn't mention Brian Kelly. They would oh, no. talk about him before the Sugar Bowl. It was like he didn't exist to them. And, yeah. and that's I'm not. That's not a. We we both we all know how I've spoken felt about the the job Brian Kelly's done at Notre Dame, but. I don't think that's a, a shot on him or whatever. I think that's more so a endorsement of Scott Frost and how well he treats his players and how much he gets his players to buy in and, and love what they're doing. Absolutely. So I am uh, I'm buying in on Scott Frost as well. It should be a should be a fun little era to watch in Lincoln um, for for everyone involved. And I think that the Big Ten's better when Nebraska is in the conversation. College football's the, better when Nebraska's in the conversation. They're a, they're a blue blood, and everybody loves a blue blood. Uh, Matt, buy or sell Nikola Miritich? Just like quite literally, are you buying him, getting him pieces, or are you selling him to another team right now to maximize whatever tank, whatever's going on? I'm still trying to sell high on him. Um, yeah, I he's I, I, he's younger than I thought he was. He's only I think 26, which is I thought he was probably closer to 28, 29. Uh, but I, I I just 
I've seen him before, and this is the first time he's kind of, I don't want to call it his team, but he's kind of had more of the, like, you know, he's one of the more go-to options than he's been in the past, mm-hmm. and he's thriving in it right now. I just don't see it. I, I can't see this lasting. Yeah. I, I don't think he's that good, and I think the value you can get for him on the trade market, he, you, you've gone down this rebuild path. You've chosen your path. Don't vacate it now to go after an again, eight seed. Don't vacate it don't again. Don't do this again. Don't do something you were, stupid again. Don't we go sign right, Dwayne Wade again. We were on don't the go right sign Rajon Raja, Rondo Joe, again. is it my buy or sellers? Go ahead. I'm sorry, it's yours. Stay invested in the rebuild that you you started out when you traded Jimmy Butler on draft night. It's going well. It's going the right way. You're headed the right direction. You clearly did a good job getting all you can out of that Jimmy Butler draft piece, tra- draft trade, whatever, but Stay the course. Don't sell out for an eight seed. Don't try and move a whatever pick to get some aging veteran to come play with these guys, whatever. Still plan on moving out all the pieces you can to get as many draft picks, and let's go forward from there. Just don't stay the course. Don't yeah. do the Bulls thing where you try and jump the ship a little bit early. Do what the White Sox always used to do. Stay the course. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Matt, because the only thing Nikola Mirotic is in the grand scheme of things, if you're trying to be competitive at a championship level is a complimentary piece to shoot so her off you, the bench. So if you can turn him into complimentary pieces for the future, I think that's definitely the route to go. Yeah. And I, I think you can find a team like Boston, a team like Houston, a team maybe who's in the middle of the pack somewhere in the West or the East who might be willing to trade for a shooter off the bench or, you know, a shooter in their starting lineup who might be willing yeah. to give you a first round pick with how well he's been doing. So the day you're able to trade him, you should have a deal lined up to get him out of town. And I like Robin Lopez here too, but he's the kind of guy that you should probably be looking to get a first round, a late first round pick back for as well, because he's a guy who might be able to do that from a team like a Cleveland or you know someone who's picking at the back end of the first round. He's not yeah. going to be here for the long haul. Get all the pieces, the value pieces you can have that aren't going to be here for the long haul out of here so you start losing some games and you gain more draft picks because that's how you rebuild in the NBA. You hit on your draft picks and then you attract a big free agent. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a situation the Bulls have found themselves in before, and they've made the mistake. So hopefully they've learned from past transgressions. Matt, I just somehow doubt it. Hit me. All right, Joe, buy or sell Baker Mayfield in the NFL as a success so, in the NFL. Obviously it's so there. it's so tough to buy, um, just because of what we've seen from that type of quarterback in the past. Now. Is he as reliant on his legs and on the run game as a Johnny football? No. He can stand in the pocket and throw the ball. We've seen that. But when you start talking about that at a refined NFL level, you have to also talk about form and technique and footwork. And it's just not as polished as these names that you're seeing as first round, second round, even late round guys. He is not the type of quarterback that we've seen success from in the past in the NFL. Now, is a Deshaun Watson the exception to that rule? Yes. Is a Russell Wilson the exception to that rule? There are guys that have shown the ability to edit their game and play to their other strengths, not the strengths that got them success at the collegiate level. So Baker's going to have to do that. But if you're asking me to buy or sell him as a viable starting quarterback in the NFL, I think five years from now, a sell is the... uh, the safest thing to do to that one. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with you, too. I'm not sure he won't have some sort of extended tenure in the NFL as a, as a backup or something. We're floating around the league like that, but I don't I don't see him as a franchise quarterback. One thing I noticed last night is once Georgia's defense started to figure out 
and their pass rush started to get kind of on the right page. I, I know it's tough for any quarterback to succeed, you know, under pressure when, when they're getting uh, blitzed and, and, and pressured as much as he was. But he really kind of crumbled. He wasn't really getting the ball off. He was holding on to it too long, and he was mm-hmm. taking sacks. And for a guy who's that little and that kind of seen as mobile, he had a lot of trouble escaping the pocket, you know, escaping the, the, the pass rush. I don't He's not going to go to a team that's going to have a great offensive line, in my opinion, because I think he's played himself up into being, you know, probably a top fifteen or so pick. I think someone's going to reach for him. And you I think don't, Baker's going to go top fifteen? I, I think someone's going to reach for Baker after what what we saw last night and what we kind of saw throughout the year. I, I do think someone's going to jump because of what Darnold kind of did in that Cotton Bowl. Uh, he kind of collapsed a little bit. Josh Rosen stocks not not that Baker's going to go ahead of Josh Rosen, but Josh Rosen's I don't love- stocks seem to be falling a little bit. I don't um, love either of them. So if your argument is relativity, then yeah, Baker looks better because of how poorly they played. But yes, I'm not but that, impressed. That, that, that is why I'm saying because they darn yeah, look poor. That'll Rosen force someone play, to reach. That I, it would. Get, we've seen in the NFL before. It, 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 yeah. That's the one position where someone will jump up and reach. I yeah. mean, Andy Reid did it for Patrick Mahomes, who was seen as you know a second round draft pick by a lot of people. He jumped up to what number ten or, or whatever it was to go take him. So yeah. teams will jump up for a quarterback that's not ready if they think he's got any chance. And I just. I don't think if he goes in and plays right away somewhere that he's going to be a guy who's going to be able to succeed without a very, very good offensive line. Yeah, it's, it's going to take a lot for him to see that sort of success at the next level. I, I said it earlier in the pod, and I'll say it again. I root for the kid. He is oh, a blast. He's a blast to watch. He's good for the game. He's he's a headline. He's a lot of fun. And it's, it's a shame that... Um, you don't always see that come to fruition at the next level. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Matt, we will see. I got one last one for you here. The Jimmy Garoppolo era in San Francisco finishes with, I believe, five straight wins to end the season. Uh, Jimmy G is looking like a guy who does have a long-term future in the NFL as a starting quarterback. Matt, buy or sell. The Patriots got a little bit fleeced here, and they just traded away the Steve Young to Tom Brady's Joe Montana. I, it's, it's hard for me to say the Patriots got fleeced because that was the best offer on the table, and they could not bring him back. They, yeah. I don't think they could tag him. In the they trade. had to get something They, they for had him. to get something for him. And a second-round pick, I, I think we've seen Bill Belichick do wonders with, uh, with picks outside of the first round, so I'm not going to say they got fleeced. But at the same time, it, it does look like they traded a franchise quarterback for a second-round pick. But it, I, I'm also not going to buy it and say, you know, he's he's Steve Young to Brady's Montana because it's still a small sample size, and we've seen flashes in the I – don't, I don't think this is a flash in the pan. I do think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the starting quarterback for the 49ers for the next 10 years, whatever the hell it is. But we've seen flashes in the pan like this from quarterbacks before where they haven't panned out and don't – so I can't buy it yet even though – I do think he's going to have a great career. I'm not sure I'm going to go as far as, you know, Steve Young, he's going to win a Super Bowl and all that stuff. I'm already polishing the bust in Canton. I am so high on this handsome Italian. That's why you like him. He's a handsome Italian. He's a handsome Italian Chicagoan. He's, we're talking about blue blood programs. The Niners are a classic, just a classic NFL franchise, a nice simple jersey. It's everything you could want in, a, in just an NFL storyline. Give me Jimmy G in Canton twenty twenty nine. I'm with you. I hope it works out because I do. That that's a great franchise. The NFL's you know, like we're talking about with Nebraska being you know, college football is better when they're good. I think the NFL 
is more entertaining when teams like the 49ers are good. And I, yeah. I hope it works out for them there because those uniforms, that quarterback, that team, it, it's, a, it's a perfect success for a, a great NFL storyline and team to follow. Absolutely is, Matt. Um, well, it's been a blast talking strictly football with you here. On before the before we shut podcast. it down, can I bring something up? Joe, always. You watched always. The, you watched the two games on ESPN yesterday. Yeah. Did, did you notice anything during the commercial breaks that that, that started happening? Um, I was working as well, so I was kind of using those. Com- Joe, I was using those oh. commercial breaks. Oh, Masters commercials! Joe, you missed the main Masters event of the entire night. Masters commercials. I absolutely saw Masters. I, I had a tweet written up about it, and I couldn't find the right GIF. Hashtag 2018. I, so I didn't send out the tweet, but it was something along the lines of like, usually those when Masters. Start- Still when Masters February. commercials start, yeah. Usually those don't yeah. start till like February. I they caught Ooh. me off guard and it was I heard the smooth stylings of Tom Rinaldi and like triple took it. And the TV. T- Tiger being kind of back now. Woo! It's just it's, it had me feeling just, just some type of way, Joe. And I, I oh, it's still so far, but I can feel I can, can smell I can the hear, azaleas. I can hear Vern on sixteen yelling, Oh my, I can hear oh. it. Stop it. Stop I can it hear right it. now. I can, oh, sorry. I just, I, I had to bring see, it up. If I, I knew if you, there was anyone who would you, appreciate it like you would my, If I were you, I would have used that as my shutdown. You just got me so excited. I'm see, almost mad. I, I would have used it as my hole. shutdown, but I wanted, I wanted to have the conversation with you. I didn't want <laughs> That's to be the fair. Part, I, but I wanted I to I appreciate the hell out of that. I appreciate the hell out of that. And now we're going to see him for the next three months. On that note, you know, thank you for listening to the Moose and Roots podcast, episode 37. We always have a blast. We hope you guys do too. Ruins, why don't you shut us down? Shut it down. Shut it all down. Shut it down. Shut it down! Houston, we have shut down. I've seen enough. Shut it down. Okay, surprise, surprise. I'm going to go over the NHL here for my shutdown, Joe. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a big shocker for you, but uh, (laughs) I'm not going Blackhawks. I'm going to stay out of what's going on uh, with our our Hawks. I want to talk a little bit about the Vegas Golden Knights and how cool of a storyline I think that is this year. Um, It's... It's awesome to see a city who's never really had that pro sports franchise rally around kind of their first one and it very understaffed under talented team overperforming the way they are they're four points outside of the nhl's best record and and to see this team this city this group rally around a, a fun group of hockey players to watch after what was you know such an awful tragedy i think it was during the preseason um or, or just as the regular season started with that the mass shooting in las vegas right before to see kind of those guys uh, be such a big part of that city so quickly into their tenure and to see a great fan base rally around a great team that's turned out to be as big of a surprise as anyone. I still don't think it will. I think they're going to get themselves to the playoffs just because of how good they've been so early on. I'm not sure it's going to last once they get there. But to, to see this storyline, this team, this group develop and to kind of watch it from an outside perspective and to see the fans rally around such a such a fun group of guys to watch play hockey it's it's been a treat to watch so i just i wanted to touch on that i don't think outside of hockey circles outside of nhl circles they're really getting the respect or attention that they deserve and i I think they've earned it at this point so uh i'm going to keep an eye on them for the rest of the year i think if if you're a hockey fan if you're a sports fan it's it's a great story and a great team great group to watch keep an eye on it absolutely is matt and um very well said there it's it's a team that I think everyone can get behind, even just the casual NHL fan. If they do find themselves in the playoffs, it's going to be just an awesome storyline. And the way that a group of guys that never really played together 
it has come together on the ice. It's great and it's fun to watch. Uh, I actually had a, a buddy that went out to Vegas and watched a couple games with his dad. With his dad, pardon me. Um, and he's just—he said the experience was was second to none. Not only is there support from the opposing team like we had talked about, but there is a fan base, as you said, in Vegas that was dying for a team. And not to take the light off of the Knights here, but uh, I think that Oakland is gonna is gonna do really well in a new place with a great fan base. Yeah. Those those Vegas fans are showing up uh, in a big way for their teams, and hopefully the Knights can continue this uh, storybook type season it's going to be fun to watch before the season started you had people saying you know oh you know they'll show up for a month or so and then it'll just turn into basically what phoenix is where it's home games for all the road teams because everybody's yeah. taking road trips but it's been anything but that the fans have stayed they've showed out and it's 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 interesting to see a, a less talented group kind of a, a ragtag bunch who literally were all cast-offs they were told by the teams that they were on like we're, we're okay with somebody else taking you their their head coach was the same he was uh, fired way too early by Florida, so he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. It's it's an entire organization playing with a chip on their shoulder, coaching with a chip on their shoulder, putting the team together with a chip on their shoulder, and it's it's, it's fun to watch. I'm not sure it's going to last much past this year, but uh, it, it's a great storyline for you know, 2017 heading into, heading into 2018. That it is, and a happy new year it is, Matt, to all the Moose and Runes listeners. Thank you for support in our first year. We hope that our second year brings you even more entertainment, brings you more storylines, and uh, hopefully brings you a couple of laughs as well. We're going to keep doing this thing well through 2018. Matt, as always, thank you for being by my side, my, my brother in arms, my broadcast partner. It is always a blast. Moose and Runes listeners, we appreciate you guys. That's going to do it for episode 37 of the pod. Like it, share it, post it, Facebook, wherever you can. Bop it, uh, twist love- it, pull it. <laughs> we love your support, and we also love throwback games from the early 2000s, <laughs> like Bop It. Have a good one, Moose and Roos listeners. We love you guys. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was... Awesome! <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.